It is the Lover and the Fighter podcast, Christmas week edition. I would be lover is in brother love, and that would be fighter is in UFC pioneer, king of all UFC media, Mr. Dean Thomas. Dino, brutal seven days for you and me and Tyron and our friends, Amanda and Nina. There's a picture on my Twitter of the five of us having dinner. And literally within seven days, everyone had a brutal freaking week. Yeah, I can. Oof. But you know what? You know, being involved in MMA for so long, that's what this game is about, man. Like some days it's so high and some days it's low. We call it the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And these last seven days have been the lowest of lows. Yeah, literally from Saturday night of UFC 269 to one week later when Tyron got sent to that place where time doesn't exist. That was actually hurtful to watch that happen. And I know you, you've trained and coached and cornered Tyron since day one, right? Since he literally began MMA as a professional? Pretty much, yeah, as a professional, yes. I mean, even at the end of his amateur career, I've been working with him. So we are in Vegas together for 269. We are in the building as Amanda loses her bantamweight belt, where you were coaching and cornering her when she actually won it in the summer of 2016, correct? Mm, yes, absolutely. So here we are five plus years later, and I don't think any of us ever believed it would be lost, maybe vacated, but uh, that's exactly what happened. And so you were there for the beginning of the rain, and then you were there for the end of the rain as well. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, I've always said this about Amanda, is that no one's going to beat her except herself. And mm -hmm. I really believe that is what happened. She went out there not mentally prepared, not mentally ready to fight. And uh, and she got taken advantage of by a very mentally strong and durable girl in Juliana Pena. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think, what was the distraction? What was the issue for Amanda um, that, that she wasn't mentally prepared? Is it just because it's so commonplace to defend these? Well, no, I think, well, yeah, I mean, that has a lot to do with it. The fact that it was so, she, it got very normal to her, got very comfortable to her for her lifestyle and her lifestyle was, was, you know, she got the family now and she's, and, and Amanda stopped being a gym rat a while ago. Like she doesn't train often. So like, that's not her thing. She's not a gym rat. So she would only train and prepare for fights to get ready for fights. But I think the fact that with her family now, she just didn't do the work mentally that she needed to. And I'm sure she did it physically, but I don't think she did the mental work that she needed to, because when she got out there, she allowed her anxiety to kick in. And that took precedent over her performance. You know, I didn't, you well know that I did not uh, participate as media, not credentialed for this show. We uh, participated via Celsius, um, who hosted us, and we endorsed them via our radio show. It was great to hang with the Celsius people. But if I were participating in media, I had a question prepared for Amanda, and I was simply going to ask her. You have a beautiful wife and a beautiful life and the baby you always wanted and everything you've ever wanted to own. What is it that gets you up to go and prepare and train for these fights? What still motivates you to keep doing this to defend the title? What do you think she would have said? What do you think she would have answered? Would she have been honest? I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't think she would have. I think she would have been honest. And, and she, I don't know. I don't even know if she would have had a good, legit answer for that. I think she would have been like, uh, you know, I just want to be the best. I think she would have just said something very vague like that. But. You know, I think she got to the point where she didn't have anything that would really spark her up to get to get motivated to train hard 
Yeah. Mentally, and again, it's, I'm sure she trained hard physically, but mentally she wasn't there. And that could be just, and that's just detrimental when you're not there mentally. Absolutely it is. All right, let's continue then to the main event of that 269 card in Vegas. Charles Oliveira defends his belt against Dustin Poirier, who you've known and trained with an American top team, obviously for a very long time. Um, Dustin keeps getting right there to the doorstep and then fate just won't have it. Will he have another chance to finally win that belt outright? Not a vacated belt, not an interim belt, but become take the championship. Will he have another chance? Do you believe? I don't think so. I think that was his, his last opportunity. And because it's, it takes so much out of you. And he said, it. he says he could do it if he really wanted to. But it takes so much out of you physically and mentally that I don't see him being able to do it because a lot of things have to line up in order to be a champion. Mentally, physically, skill-wise, and a little bit of luck. And let's face it, he's had all the luck that he needed in order to get there twice, and he failed twice. And I hate to use the word fail because to get in that position and not get it, it's not really a failure. It's just you didn't achieve the ultimate goal. But yeah, at if, the end of the yeah. day, it's going to be – yeah, no, no, if you're no, don't be ashamed or afraid to use the word failure. It's not an insult. It just means that the task you set out to achieve a complete just wasn't completed. That's all. Right. But at the end of the day, like he's had probably one of the most memorable careers in the lightweight division. He's and he's still considered he's going to be a he's a Hall of Famer. But I don't see him being able to bounce back and going through murderer's row in order to do it again, get another shot and win it. What is it with Charles Oliveira who gets so close, so close to getting knocked out, to literally getting sent to that place where time does not exist, and then somehow finds a way to turn it around, survive that, and then finish? We saw it right with Chandler, right? And then we saw it here where you thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's in trouble. And then just like that, literally, he flips the script, and now he's got the belt and retains the belt. Well, there's a lot that has to do with it. And I think one of the most important things is his upbringing. (laughs) He comes from nothing, like literally comes from nothing. And to be able to survive that and get to where he's gotten, and he owes that to his belief in God. So he uses that belief and that faith to carry him. So when he's in these adverse positions and situations, he believes that God is going to get him through. He He doesn't put the weight on his own shoulders. He puts the weight on his higher power to do it. And that allows him to take the pressure off of himself, put it on the higher power, and allows him to perform freely. I mean, he was in trouble. You were sitting right there, cage side. I was in that Celsius suite um, looking down. He was in real trouble, was he not, early on? Oh, he was in absolute trouble. And in every fight that he's been in, he always gets in trouble. And that was the reason why everybody used to think he would break, because before he would break. But now he's gotten to the point where he learned how to put it all together and not break. So uh, Michael Chandler had him in trouble. Uh, Dustin Poirier had him in trouble. But he said, come on, bring it. Keeps coming forward. As you and I both know, it's a lot harder to keep what you wanted than it is to get what you wanted. It's a lot harder to stay at the top, to remain the champion. And and people always question me. They go, I don't understand. I go, think about that girl that you wanted to go out with. You really said whatever, did whatever to try and get her to go out with you, go out a second time. But then when you started dating her, yeah, kind of lost interest. Same thing with the car that you wanted. Same thing with the phone that you wanted. It's human nature. So when you become champion, it becomes difficult sometimes, like we just talked about with the motivation with Amanda, to do as such. Like marvelous Marvin Hagler said, 
tough to get up and do road work in the rain at 5 a.m. when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. But Oliveira, this was his first title defense. You know, literally his life flipped. He was in the T-shirt and the goggles um, when he won the belt. And then weeks later, for 264, uh, when it was, uh, yeah, yeah, Connor and Poirier, they are at T-Mobile Arena. He showed up in Versace. We've talked about it. Showed up in Versace with gold chains and sunglasses at night. Like literally 180 degree turn. This would have been the spot where you wonder, is he content with it just having got it? Is he prepared now to keep it? And it turns I out he, he was prepared to keep it. Yeah. For sure. Because, I mean, he's looking back at his family. He's looking back at where he's come from in his neighborhood and his, his city and all the people that he's tr- trying to in- inspire. And also, too, in terms of getting there and then keeping it, when you're getting there, you're fighting the number 10 guy, the number eight guy, the number four guy. Then you fight the number one contender fight, and then you get there. But when you are at the top, you are almost always fighting the number one guy who's coming for your head with serious intent, who's been dreaming of that moment. So you're always fighting a guy who's been dreaming of that moment to take that belt from you. So it's a lot harder to get that because you're fighting with guys that are so motivated to rip your head off. You as one of the world's best and uh, most educated scouts and coaches in MMA, you see weakness, you see strength where others cannot. You just have a different eye for this over 20 plus years of training and teaching, etc. If there's a hole in Oliveira's game, if there is a weakness, is it just that proclivity for taking big shots? Yeah, for sure. Like his his defense has always been suspect because he's such a Muay Thai specialist. He doesn't move his head much. So his defense is a little suspect. So he'll he can get hit. So a bigger a big puncher could get to him. Um, obviously, you know, Dustin is a big puncher, but he requires some volume. If he fights Gaethje, that could be a little different because if Gaethje lands a big one, Gaethje does have the ability to really put you out with one. Now, Charles has to be careful with that because Gaethje is a big puncher and a finisher. Is that the fight that's next? Will it, in fact, be Gaethje? That's that's the one that's uh, more likely to be next. Yeah. So um, that that could give him some problems. All right, let's move ahead now to UFC Fight Night 45 in Vegas this past weekend. It kind of feels like a changing of the guard. I know you're very fond of Wonder Boy. I know you're very fond of his, his old man. You said his dad's an OG. Remember you telling me that off the air. You prepared, <clears throat> excuse me, Tyron twice to defend the welterweight championship against Wonder Boy. But there's Bilal Muhammad. And Bilal Muhammad had earned this opportunity, and it felt like the old guy versus the kind of sort of new guy. He's not that young. But was this, in fact, a changing of the guard? Because we saw Wonder Boy kind of ragdolled and dominated like we've never seen before. Well, I don't want to think of it as the changing of the guard. I like to think of it as just a coming out party for Bilal Muhammad. Okay. Because Bilal Muhammad, is he's cut his teeth in the organization and in the whole entire MMA game. He's been around. It's just no one really gave him his credit. He even works to death, but no one really likes to give him his credit for how good he is. But I think this is the fight that really kind of opened up everybody's eyes to say, okay, man, this guy is serious. He's for real. All right. To the main event then this past weekend, it was Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins, who just retired, just quit his job as a cop in Philadelphia um, and maybe quit a little too soon. Derek Lewis, we all know knockout power. We didn't expect this to go very long, but Derek Lewis was a slight underdog, plus 125, plus 130 region type. Yeah. Dawkins got caught, like is often the case. Derek Lewis now the all-time UFC knockout champion. Does that surprise you historically? Because you've been there since day one, since literally 1993. No one's had more knockouts in the UFC now 
than Derek Lewis. That surprised no, you? Not at all. Not one bit. Derek Lewis is better than people give him credit. It's, it's, it's weird to think about because he is the knockout leader. We give him credit for being a knockout leader, but he's better skilled and he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. He plays dumb. He plays possum. He yeah. acts like he's not good. He acts like he doesn't train. <laughs> but Derek Lewis is very good. He's very smart. He's very intelligent. And he has the power to back it up. So it doesn't surprise me. And it doesn't surprise me that he knocked out Chris Dawkins. The only thing that surprised me about that fight is the fact that Derek Lewis was the underdog. Yeah, that is a little interesting. Um, by the way, since it is Christmas week here on the Lover and the Fighter podcast, Josh Cohen, Dean Thomas, it is important to remind everyone, Dean, of our favorite holiday tweets from the always generous <laughs> An always thoughtful Derek Lewis, who tweeted out, um, if anyone's going to be alone for the holidays, let me know. I need to borrow some chairs. <laughs> Which is still just it's always It's always oh, funny. It is. Um, so let's shift gears now to something that was not funny at all. And that was the outcome Saturday night of Jake Paul versus your fighter, Tywin Woodley, part two, this time from Tampa. So there wasn't the Cleveland advantage. There wasn't the hometown crowd. But this was a, an outcome that I don't think anyone expected. Maybe Jake Paul and his team dreamed of, wished for, hoped for. But I don't think they believed this could happen. You were there. You arrived Wednesday night late to fight camp. You were there straight through. Just tell us about what you saw, what you witnessed, and obviously what just maybe didn't go right in the end. Yeah, you know, it was a situation where you know, Tyron was ready. He had everything he needed. He was prepared mentally and physically. Like he knew that this opportunity was going to come. So he started training prior. And so he has no excuses in terms of how it was a short notice fight because he knew this fight would happen. And by the time we got out there, uh, you know, the reality is, is we, can, we can never forget that Tyron is 39 years old. He's almost 40 years old. And Tyron built a career beating guys up exploding on guys, you know, just playing possum a little bit, then exploding on guys, kind of like Derek Lewis. Now at almost 40 years old, he doesn't have the same explosion and he can't really get off on guys like he used to before. And he's trying a brand new sport, measuring the distance, the range, like trying to learn a new sport in front of the public's eye. So like he's really, really trying to cut his teeth in front of everybody. And we're watching him go through a learning curve. And it's not really fair to him in terms of the outcomes, but financially, I guess it's well worth it. Yeah, no, I get that. But here's the thing. This is a great former champion. This, this is a great former champion. This is someone who was dominant and dominated and defended successfully four or five times. I can't remember which. To see him go out like this, not that he lost a boxing match, not that he lost a boxing match to the kid that's too loud and too proud and too cocky, the YouTuber, the Disney Channel kid, not that, but that he got knocked cold, that he went face first, Apollo Creed style, in front of an arena of people that were there for an event, not for a boxing match. The fact that this great champion, this is the lasting image. This is the meme. This is, if you will, the final chapter. I hate that for Tyron. I hate that, not that he lost, but these are the optics. That That's the visual that we'll never forget. That that's how this great career and that great reign as a champion now, because, you know, it went from bad to worse. You were there when he lost the belt to Usman. Mm -hmm. You were there through the four-fight loss streak when he didn't win a round. But this is, to me, you know, I just, I hate this for your friend, you know, my buddy, your close friend, 
I, I hate this for him and his family and for Mama Woodley to just have this taunting by people that would never be brave enough to step inside of a ring or a cage and see what they're made of in hand-to-hand combat where someone's trying to render them unconscious. The people that are the critics, like Tom Brady says, you know, are not the men or women inside the arena. I hate that for Tyrant. Well, the Greeks called it hubris, and that's his excessive pride. He, uh-oh, there's my app. But the Greeks called it hubris, and that's his hubris, and that's his excessive pride of really trying to show everybody what he's made of. But the reality is, is that at some point you have to you have to give it up and say, you know what, I've done my thing. I've I've proved my point a long time ago. And I've always said it too. The same thing that happened with BJ Penn. I hated the fact that a lot of the young guys made their names off of him. That these they're taking these legends and people are making their name off of them. I've mm. always hated that fact. And the fact that this is happening with Tyron, it just like you said, it's going from bad to worse. And now who knows? I mean, he's still talking about fighting again. So these things can get kind of scary. You know, some would say that BJ Penn maybe made his name off of you. So there's a legacy here. Yeah, BJ did make it off me, but I was still on the come up too. So it wasn't at the end of my career. I hear that you. was the difference. Yeah, this, this isn't, you know, Joe Frazier fighting prime Muhammad Ali. This is Trevor Burbeck, who's the bridge between fighting Ali and then fighting Tyson and Tyson becoming champion where, you know, that champion passed his prime. Do you think Tyron will fight again? MMA, bare knuckle. I'm getting texts on Sunday, people saying, try it, try it, get him in the try it. Do you think he will fight again professionally? He I do seem to think enjoy. so. You do? I, I, I do think so. I mean, he said he had fun. I don't know what part of it was fun. I don't know where he felt the fun. I didn't see the fun of that. He said he had fun. I support my friend. Is it, is it the eyeballs? Is it the attention? Is it the hype? Because, you know, you said it on our radio show in South Florida that, that you know, him being UFC champion, fighting those big main events, it's great. But this had a different vibe because this felt like a celebrity pop culture mainstream kind of world event which is different do, do you think that maybe what he's enjoying and what he was missing wasn't the competition or the hand-to-hand combat it was being front and center being the star of the show i mean that that has that, i'm sure that has a lot to do with it like yeah. leading up to it the press conference the attention i mean that you you we can be we can be uh intoxicated by that and i think that sure. may be the case is he may be addicted to the the fame and yeah. To let that go was, would be hard for him. So I hope he just finds another way to, to become famous. It sucked to see him get knocked out like that. Yeah, for sure. It physically pained you, I'm sure. It made you feel sick, and I felt the same here watching at home. Um, keep in mind, Jake Paul is just a handful of years away in age from Tyron's son. Tyron's son is a lot closer to Jake in age than Tyron is. So when you talk about the age differential, that's something, you know, Tyron looks very youthful, but he's got an 18-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Jake Paul's I mean, what, 24? Yeah, he's 24 years old. Tyron is Same. almost, yeah. he'll be 40 in a couple of months. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, last question on this. Jake Paul, I told you when I saw him up close in Cleveland in August for the first go-around that he looks like a boxer. Not a great boxer, but he looks like a He moves like a boxer. He, he looks like he does the work, Dean Thomas. He looks like he's trained. He looks like he takes it serious. He looks like he's not playing the part, but actually... He wants to learn to be good. Would you agree with that assessment? That actually, 100%. he looks like, okay, what'd you see? What'd you see that you liked in Jake Paul that you think it's sustainable? And what would you say to people pump the brakes on? Well, here's the thing with Jake <laughs> Paul is that he's not doing anything wrong except for 
putting himself out there and doing what he's do- doing, what every other boxer, every other big boxer has done, and that's fight lesser competition. But they ne- they didn't do it on the stage that Jake Paul is doing. So the only difference of Jake Paul and say even any other boxer that you can name, because their first five fights were against bums, with absolute bums. In fact, Jake Paul's probably fought better guys now, considering that he fought Tyron in his in his fifth fight than uh, than most boxers do. The difference is Jake Paul's doing it on a big stage and telling everybody that he's the best in the world. The reality is that he's still, in my opinion, you know. A, a new a new boxer you know very inexperienced new boxer and um and it's going to still take him years before he can get good at it he's smart though isn't he like he's smart oh, he's, media he's incredibly savvy. smart he's yeah. incredibly smart yeah after the fight in august when he beat tyron i tried to bait him in the post-fight press conference i tried to bait him into saying as such and i asked him i said this event tonight i said is it fair to say that you are the greatest right now biggest star you are the biggest star in boxing. And he started to speak and he stopped and he paused and he said, I think there's room for a few of us, a lot of us. I think there's room for a lot of us to be the biggest stars, which is a smart answer because Lord knows if he would have taken the bait, he's the biggest star, then it makes headlines, right? Yeah, well, he, he actually made his own belt, <laughs> the most valuable boxer belt, the MVB. So, yeah. I mean, he, he's smart. He knows what he's doing. He's very calculated. And um, and he's very successful, and there's a reason why. I think he's going to maintain his success. But again, you know, you can't get mad at him for fighting guys that he's picking, hand picking opponents because no. all boxers do that in the beginning. Floyd Mayweather fought everyone five years after they were in their prime, or five years after the fight should have happened. Floyd Mayweather's last two fights were against Conor McGregor, who never boxed before, and Jake Paul's brother. So let's just let we'll leave it at that. Right. Exactly. Everybody, everybody picks and chooses who they wants to fight. Absolutely. All right, real quick, uh, 2022 predictions in advance. Who's going to have a breakout year in the UFC? Who's going to have a breakout year? You know, you've called these for like the last decade. You know who's on that come up. Maybe they're off the radar, but you're like, watch out for. Give me a man, give me a woman. I'm going to say two lightweights. Watch out for Islam Makhachev. Oh, sure. He, He might win the belt. He might beat Charles Oliveira. And if he doesn't do it, another breakout star is coming out as Rafael Faziv. He won't be he won't win the title, but he'll make a name for himself. So he'll be he'll a, be a big star. How about on the women's side? Is there a woman you got your eye on that's gonna have a breakout year that's gonna rise in 2022? Uh Taya Santos. I mean, she's okay. already she's already started coming up, but I think yep. she's gonna have a big year. All right. Well, that'll do it for us for this year. We're not taping next week, right? This is it for 2021. Yeah, we could tape There's next no week, maybe. All right. We'll, we'll talk about what you got for Christmas, what Santa brought you. Yeah. Fair enough. Because the fights, they over and done with for 2021. Uh, listen, subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you are. Rate, comment, whatever. And also remember, most importantly, we don't get paid, so we don't give a shit. No. This is just for the love of the game. Yep. All right. For Dean Thomas. It is Josh Cohen saying thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time, which is also next year, for the Lover and the Fighter podcast.